0: No salvation outside the Catholic Church? Please explain. Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful, living life filled in the Holy Spirit, living a life of love in Jesus' presence. And uh, thank you for tuning back in. This is episode 28 of series 18 on the topic of salvation. Today's topic is there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. And we're going to understand that by, through the lens of which the church understands that to mean. And so we're going to talk about there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church and what that really means. There's no salvation. We're going to talk about the sacraments and holinesses too, and too, because all of that cannot be separated from the life of the church. Um, and then we're going to be talking about um, those outside the church, and we're going to be talking about how those inside the church just because you're a formal member does not mean that we are saved, um, and there's a greater responsibility that we have. But first, let's uh, also talk about where we've been to kind of orient ourselves within this topic of salvation. So, this whole series of 18 has been going on for two years. Yes, over two years, <laughs> primarily because I've had some delays, but it also has had quite a few episodes. So, um, if you go to the Google link in the website that's in the bottom of the show notes, um, you click on the website, you go to uh, Episodes, and then there's an Excel file in there, and you can filter on there. So if you filtered on the topic of salvation in column F, which is category, um, you can uh, see all these, uh, these episodes that we've been on, on this, in this series. But here's an overview on where we've been. We talked about the gospel Why is God on a cross? We talked about how Jesus came to restore right order and right relationship. Uh, Taste and see, it's a personal invitation from Jesus. We talked about grace. We talked about saving faith. We talked about being saved and judged by love. We talked about our conscience. We talked about heaven, hell, purgatory. The question, are you saved? And is it once saved, always saved, or is it a continuation? We talked about free will, predestination, and the sovereignty of God. We talked about sin being the slavery of humanity. We talked about penances and mortification. It's the life of the Holy Spirit. We talked about indulgences. We talked about suffering. We talked about our adversary, the devil. We talked about our advocate, the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about God's work and what he did in Jesus. And his superabundant love is entirely for you. And so we really understood truly the nature of God and what he did for us. It's nothing that we can do or merit or earn. Um, and even what, uh, you know, what Jesus offered to the Father. It wasn't like the Father needed something. Um, and it was uh, us lifting up in, uh, us into his divine love. And then we had a topic about the Father did not abandon or pour out his wrath on Jesus. And then we talked about, well, those who are saved be few. So we talked about uh, this idea that we can know the number who are saved. Is it all? Is it everybody? Is it a fixed number, predestination, um, and and so forth. So, And then uh, we also talked about, um, there was an always more Wednesday episode um, right after that, just a follow up to those last two episodes about God the Father pouring out his wrath or abandoning Jesus at the cross um, or the amount of people who will be saved. So it's called an intimacy with the Father, Jesus gave his life for all. And so uh, th- that's kind of where we've been and that which brings us to today and we're gonna only have three more episodes after this episode on this topic of salvation. So today, we are going to be talking about no salvation outside the Catholic Church and what that means. So, this is a dogma of the Catholic Church. So this is, if you're a Catholic, you are required to believe this. You have to believe it. Because objectively speaking, God wants every single person on this earth to be Catholic, to be an on-fire Catholic. Because Jesus, he wants every single person bound up into his, his person. God sent his son to die for every single person so that every single person may live. And Jesus, that 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 Messiah, that kingship, that Lord, who took on our human flesh and destroyed the uh, grips of Satan, sin, and death, he founded the Catholic Church so that we can be in union and to be living in the truth. But what does that mean? So a lot of people, including even Catholics, uh, hear this phrase and think that the church is damning people who are not a formal member of the church. Well, it isn't. You have to understand what the church says by what the church understands itself to say, be saying, and meaning, right? So, um, and when I say including Catholics, this actually became a pretty significant issue, I believe, like in the mid 1900s. There was a priest out in the East Coast. Who is basically literally like damning people to hell who are not members of the Catholic Church? Well, that's not what the Catholic Church teaches. Um, but there's also people outside the Catholic faith as, here's this dogma or here's this teaching, and it's like, well, <laughs> what about me? I don't think the Catholic Church is true, and I believe I'm following what I believe to be true. Um, so does that mean I'm damned? Well, the short answer to that is no, but also I don't know. So um, we'll, we'll talk about that more. So what does the church mean by there is no salvation outside of the Catholic church? So first we have to understand the person of Jesus because this is who it is all coming back to you, right? Um, uh, so... In Acts 4.12, it says, There is no other name other than Jesus under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In First Timothy two five, there is one God, there is one mediator between God and mankind, Christ Jesus. And so, there is no salvation outside of Jesus. Jesus himself makes this clear when he says that you search the scriptures day and night, and yet you do not come to me, and you remain in your sins because you do not come to me. And uh, no one knows the Father except the Son. And uh, those who believe in the Son have eternal life. And those who do not believe have been condemned already. So, there Jesus is all-inclusive love, but it, it, an exclusive reality. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and we even can talk about what that means, but... What does that mean for the church? Well, the church is the body of Christ. And this is where it really comes down to, is our understanding of what the church is. So if you have a biblical understanding of what the church is, that Jesus in his personhood came and fulfilled all of the Old Testament scriptures, he also, because of his messianic kingship, restoring Moses, restoring uh, the Exodus, restoring um, King David, restoring Israel in the new Israel that St. Paul calls it, well, he is restoring everything into himself and he, find, he founded the Catholic Church, which was founded upon Peter and the 12 apostles. So the, the Old Testament kingdom had these uh, 12 tribes. Now in the New Testament kingdom, we, uh, uh, it's the 12 apostles who are sitting on the thrones of the 12 tribes of Israel to judge. And they have the keys. Peter has the keys, and the apostles have the power to bind and loose, which were rabbinical terms. Um, about uh, binding and loosing in the Davidic in the in the kingdom for the people of God to bind and to loose sins, to bind and to loose teachings, and so we are bound by what Jesus gave us, which was the church, and so we would know the truth by being united to His church. And the nature of the church is the person of Jesus. I remember hearing about I think it's either Saint Catherine of Siena or Saint Teresa of Avila when there was like this argument going on between um uh you know secular leaders in the 1500s and the church she was like let's stop talking about the church like it's not one person outside of jesus like there's one person and it's jesus so the church called as the body of christ in the new testament this is a uh, a radical union jesus is the head in heaven and the church is his body there cannot be a headless body and there cannot be a headless Jesus or a a, a, a a bodyless Jesus. And so the church is intimately woven into the person of Jesus. It's the body of Christ. And then St. Paul and uh, the New Testament in general talks about the church as the bride of Christ. So in Ephesians 5, talking about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That whole teaching is is bound up in this reality that the church is the bride of Christ being wed to wed to god himself in the person of jesus and jesus is the divine bridegroom and what is the teaching about marriage is that the man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh and so in ephesians 5 we see that reality and in the new testament we see that reality that there is the church and there is jesus and the two become one in uh in that great love and that is un- inseparable right so jesus says what what god has joined together let no man separate and this also is a reference to the church because god has wed us together in jesus And so we are one flesh with Jesus. So the church is one flesh with Jesus. So the church is an extension of the person of Jesus. And just a few places where we hear that is Jesus himself tells the apostles that he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. So there's this intimate union between him and the apostles. He says after his resurrection, as the father sent me, so I send you. And he said that word there is apostolane, so to be sent. So Jesus is the first apostle by the Father. He was sent by the Father. And so now he sends the apostles to do the exact same work that Jesus did. And then St. Paul refers to the church as the pillar and the bulwark of truth in First Timothy. And then in Ephesians, describes the church so beautifully. In Ephesians 1, uh talks about how the church, which is Jesus' body, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the body of Christ fills all and in all. And then he says later on in Ephesians 3 is that... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So, these powers and principalities and heavenly places are learning from the church because the church is the body and the extension of Jesus Christ into the world. Now, does that mean that he's bound by the church? No, it doesn't. Actually, the church teaches that, that, that God has bound himself to the church or to the sacraments, but he is not bound by them, right? So the church can be reaching people who may not be Catholic in ways that are unknown to us. Why? Because the church is the fullness of truth. That doesn't mean that we know 100% of scientific truth and all this stuff. That just means that we have the fullness of truth and faith and morals. And uh, f- because of Jesus's grace and those who may not be living uh they may not be formal catholics but they are living a life in union what they know to be true and not just know to be true in the sense of they make up their own reality which we see uh the world doing a lot these days but knowing to be true so when they encounter truth it's not something that they did or 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 made themselves it's something that they receive they are receiving a partial truth in jesus so any good beauty truth is a participation in the person of jesus right so somebody who is following their conscience that is formed even if it's even if it's not fully formed because there's ignorance just like we all have some ignorance right but god doesn't ask for the impossible and so these people can be living a life in union with the Catholic Church because they're in union with Jesus because they are living a life with in the truth that they have received. So a kid in Africa who has never heard of the gospel doesn't have technology. No one comes and shares the love of Jesus with him, and he's like, I think there's a creator of this world, and he comes to know that person knows knows that God through uh, you know what he's raised in, whether you know let's just say it's uh, Islam. Well, does that mean he's damned? No, it doesn't, because he might be following the truth for which uh, he has received in some partial way, even if it's incomplete. I'm getting ahead of myself, but because uh, we'll talk about this even more in a little bit. But also, I've also I've also talked about the authority of the church in other episodes, such as in series six, which is on the papacy, and on series seven, which is. Uh, the authority of the apostles and, uh, apostolic succession. And then we've had a lot of always more Wednesday episodes. So if you again, go to that Excel file filter on category for church authority or Pope, um, then you'll see all those different types of episodes. So there's more there if you would like to hear more about the authority of the church that Jesus gave us, but, uh, moving on. So, but there's also, uh, uh, there is also a hierarchy of doctrine. So some people think like when we when we say there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church, which is bound up by being the body or the bride of Christ because it's one person in Jesus. But some people may think that what we mean by there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church is that we know and agree with every single church teaching. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that because there's a hierarchy of doctrines, such as the primary doctrine is that God is Trinity. He is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons and Jesus is fully God, fully man. But these are all things actually developed through church councils in in the early church. Now, it's there in scripture, yes, but people using scripture were also rejecting the reality and the nature of Jesus's humanity, his divinity. Um, Does he have two wills? Is he two people? Um, All of those things are answered through church councils because Jesus gave the authority to the church. So, These hierarchy of doctrines are that Jesus is fully God, fully man. He revealed the Blessed Trinity—Father, Son, Holy Spirit—one God, three persons—and Jesus took on our humanity and died for us so that we can share into His divine life. But that might not even be fully articulated to somebody who's dying, for example. So somebody, let's just say that there's an emergency situation where people um, are dying or they're going to die, and uh, there's this, this, you know, an emergency basically. And so are you going to sit there and teach them like, well, this is what the nature of Jesus will probably not even that Jesus loves you, died for you, put your faith and trust in him. They might be safe um, and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But um, so that that is one thing. But to say that I have to know what all the canons mean and um, well, what if I did this or did that or, you know, this situation here and uh, and this particular marriage or divorce or things like that, they might not know everything at, at right away there's a big difference between saying, I reject the Christian message versus someone accepting a message that's incomplete or not totally right. So same thing here. They may embrace the church, but not have everything figured out. And we're going to actually hear about this later on, uh, directly from scripture, versus somebody saying, I reject everything that the church teaches. Well, it's very similar to a non-Catholic Christian who believes in the Bible, right? So to to not know everything that the Catholic Church believes, but believes that it's the Church founded by Christ and believes that it teaches truth is one thing, but to not but to deny something that it teaches is another thing, right? So it's just like someone who believes in the Bible but rejects angels. Well, that person may not just they, maybe they haven't actually read the full Bible, so they just hear about angels and they're like that seems kind of made up, right? So are they rejecting the entire Bible? No, they're just their knowledge is incomplete because they don't know the full Bible, even though they came to believe in the inerrancy of scripture, right? So yes, the Bible is God's word. Um, and so it can be very similar to that where somebody is receiving a message that's incomplete and it's saying, I believe in it, but I you know, I haven't learned every single thing. And it's the same thing with the church. Receive and believe that the church was founded by Jesus, um, but I don't know everything yet, okay? So I'm still learning. That's totally fine. That's a to- totally different manner than saying, um, no, I know the church teaches this, and uh, but it, I reject it. And so God bound himself to the church and to the sacraments, but he's not bound by them, right? So uh, now the sacraments really quick. So I'm going to refer you to, we had whole series or episodes on the Eucharist and baptism and how you can lose your salvation and on conscience, because we're going to talk about that briefly in each of these parts. So uh, baptism, go to series 12 eucharist go to series 10 and 11 of the podcast and then there's a lot more of always more wednesday episodes including a talk that i just gave in the very last episode if you go to the podcast the last episode was the eucharistic revival talk that i gave so there's a lot of talks on the eucharist and then if you go within series 18 this topic of salvation go to episode 17 that is where we talk about how you can lose your salvation um, and so uh, those are good good references to, to go, but just to briefly touch on it. So God has bound himself to the sacraments, but he's not bound by them. So we have to be baptized. Jesus himself says, you must be born again of water and the spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, unanimously, 100% of people believe that was talking about, Jesus was talking about baptism there. And there's a lot of uh, references and allusions why he is. Jesus himself says, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. And then his first commandment, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we see in the book of Acts how baptism was bringing people into the body of Christ, that people would be received into there. St. Paul talks about being uh, baptized into Jesus' death and being risen with him in his resurrection. And St. Paul talks about uh, um, even more about baptism and the necessity of it. And St. Peter says uh, that baptism now saves you. And so The baptism saves the Eucharist. Jesus himself says, if you do not eat the body and blood of Christ, then you do not have life within you. Or St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if you receive the body and blood of Christ unworthily, which is either you don't believe or you're not in a state of grace or you're not in union with his church, then you are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. So you have to have baptism and the Eucharist. Um, And then uh, we need faith, hope, and love, as St. Paul says in First Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. Well, how is that manifested, though? It's through our thinking, and this is why Jesus and Matthew always addresses our heart even more than our actions. He says, You have heard it said that do not commit adultery, but I say to you, don't even look at a woman with, uh, with lust in your heart you have heard that it was said, do not kill. But I say to you, do not even have anger in your heart with your brother. Um, So Jesus is lifting up. He's addressing the actual hearts in which all these places go, right? So because Jesus himself says that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And from all of these evil things, he calls them evil, which is envy and anger and lust and fornication. And all of these things come from the heart. And then, so we need uh, even our, our thought process, the way we think can be sinful. Um, and then he also addresses the way that we speak. He says, by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. And James talks about how the tongue is a burning fire that no one can control. Um, and so the way that we speak uh, is is uh, gravely important. <laughs> the way that we act. So Jesus says in John 5, 29, that those who do do good to the resurrection of life and those who do evil to the resurrection of the dead. And so he, we're going to be judged by what we do. He talks about Matthew twenty-five. Uh, in Matthew twenty-five, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats; those who did good and those who did bad. Um, and then in Romans two six, Saint Paul talks about though that God will render um, every man according to his works. And he says again in Galatians five that those who reap to the spirit or reap to the flesh. From from that they are what if they sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit, that's what they will reap in eternal life. And he's talking about um, uh, everlasting life after here. Is it going to be in hell, or is it going to be in heaven? And then Jesus himself says again that he will judge every man according to his works in Revelation. And Jesus also talks about we have to endure till the end. Those who persevere, those who endure till the end, will be saved. And if you acknowledge Jesus before men, he will acknowledge you before the angels. If you, if you deny Jesus before men, he will also mm-hmm. deny you. And Jesus himself talks about how we have to pick up our cross and deny ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. We have to pray, fast, and give alms. We have to get, die to ourselves to live a life according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. St. Paul is huge on this, right? So it says, Nate, make no provisions for the flesh, but put on the Lord Christ. Or do not gratify the 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 flesh with its passions and desires, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, put the death, the deeds of the flesh. That's in Romans. And so we have an entire episode about fasting. And so which is it? Is scripture, is? do we have to be baptized? Do we have to have uh, receive the Eucharist? Do we have to have faith, hope, and love? Do we have to think, speak, and act according to what Jesus says? Do we have to endure to the end? Do we have to pick up our cross and deny ourselves? Do we have to acknowledge Jesus before men? Is it which one is it? It's yes. <laughs> it's all of it. Right. So um, but that's not to be legalistic and that's not to be um scared either, because that is every single thing is a gift from Jesus. We have to live in union with him. It's his grace. It's his life that is that is in us. Right. So St. Paul says it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so Jesus, God himself, has bound himself to the sacraments and for us to live in holiness and to live in intimate union with him. Um, but he is not bound by them, right? And so the sacraments were founded by Jesus as the normal means of salvation and particularly baptism in the Eucharist, but even more so baptism is the gateway into everything in the Christian life. And so baptism is the way of salvation but even those who are not baptized, if they are saved, they are baptized by desire. It's called the baptism of desire, that they would have been baptized if either they would have known or they were going to be baptized but then they died beforehand, right? So this is. baptism by desire or we talk about martyrdom of those who are not baptized yet throughout church history it's called baptism by blood and so um, baptism is the gate is is what we are brought into into the life of christ and what christ gives us as being into incorporated into his body the church and so and to be filled with this holy spirit but those who are not baptized um they still can be saved if uh and we'll talk about this here in a minute about those outside of the church and how they can be saved even if they're not baptized though they can be saved but they're saved by a a baptism of desire they had an implicit faith for baptism um, by working out um, and living in accordance with the truth that's been revealed to them Um, and then in the topic of uh, you can lose your salvation in episode 17 of this series um, we talk about briefly in there about how Christ, there's several scripture verses about Christians losing their salvation, including Romans eleven twenty-two, Galatians 5, 4, 1 Timothy 1, 19, 1 Timothy 5, 8, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and Hebrews 10, 28 through 29, Hebrews 10 and 38, and 2 Peter two twenty through 22, where the New Testament talks about Christians falling away or being severed from grace or being cut off from Jesus or... Um, rejecting the faith that they once received or falling back into um, your own way of life, back into way of life and cannot be grafted back in, right? So these are realities of the Christian life. And so, yes, we need all of these. But God has bound himself to the church and to the sacraments, but he's not bound by them. So what about those outside of the faith, right? So we're talking about non-Catholic Christians. We're talking about non-Christians practicing other faiths. We're talking about atheists anybody outside of the the visible boundaries of the church right so again uh, episode 12 series in this series 18 is about conscience um, go there uh, for more details but just really briefly is um, those people again are going to be judged by what they do that's written on their heart right so they can know that God exists and they can know what truth is by reason alone and so uh, which you still need to be moved by grace right and so Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? Truth is just the acknowledgement of what is. So it's reality. God is reality himself. So each time that we encounter truth, good, or beauty, um, we are encountering God himself. And when we follow that and we want to do the right thing, we are actually participating in the life of God, right? So even atheists do really good things. They are, in a sense, participating in the goodness of God. And so those who may be following their conscience but not fully formed, they're, they are not going to be culpable, which means that they are not going to be held for ignorance that is not to no fault of their own, right? So it's not their fault um, for many of them. But what's really beautiful that the church actually teaches as well is that our conscience has to be formed. So it's not just that what does your conscience tell you, it is did you form your conscience with the possibilities that you could have, right? So For example, if um, you just don't want to know the reality of what abortion is, um, but you have, like, somebody sends you a link about what it is, but you just don't want to know because you just don't want to, uh, you know, you just want to remain your beliefs. Well, you could have formed your conscience. So you could be culpable for that. And so those people outside of the Catholic, outside of the boundaries or the formal membership of the Catholic faith, Um, need to be able to follow their conscience, right? And if they're following truth and they're seeking after God, as Hebrews says, they seek after God and they believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, that is the bare minimum of faith, right? So it's um, those who believe. Um, and, but they're also being saved by the person of Jesus, even if they don't know it. So all the way to the end, atheists or people who are not even Christian, if they're saved, it's going to be saved by the person of Jesus and it's because they were following their conscience and what they believed uh, to not just believe, but they're following truth when they encounter truth. They received it out of humility. And how about non-Catholic Christians? Praise you, Jesus, that they believe and they believe in the inerrancy of scripture, but where does all that come from? They actually have the Bible because of the Catholic faith. they And not because the Catholic faith made it up. They receive it. We receive it from God. The highest authority in the church is scripture itself. Scripture and tradition is received by the magisterium of the church. It's not something that the church does. The church's authority is receiving, right? So, as St. Paul says, that he received from the Lord Jesus. So, it's something that the church receives, not it's uh, being um, you know misplaced. It's God has all the authority. The church just simply receives as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Um, but non-Catholic Christians, they believe in the person of Jesus, and they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture that is the canon that was uh, formulated by the grace of God in the Catholic Church through ecumenical councils in the church. Um, so all that grace is from the church and because the church is the body of christ so you encounter christ you're encountering the church and um and then uh so they're following their conscience right so think of what uh, st paul says in romans two fourteen through 15 he says when gentiles who have not the law do by nature what the law requires they are are a law to themselves Either, even though that they do not have the law they show that what the law requires is written on their hearts While their consciences also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps excuse them, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, so their conscience is going to be either accusing them or excusing them when Jesus judges them. First Corinthians five twelve through thirteen, Saint Paul says, "What have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge, is it not those?" Inside the church, whom you are to judge, God judges those outside, and so when the church uh, judges, and it's always judging actions, not people. That's why the church never condemns anybody to hell. Name a person, the worst person you can think of right now, the church has not condemned them. Uh, so we do not judge hearts; we can judge judge actions, though, and say, yes, that was evil, what that person did. Um, so, but God judges those outside. So the church judges inside, and that's why the church doesn't excommunicate people who are not Catholic. <laughs> But it does excommunicate people who are Catholic um, because we can judge those inside the church. Literally, Jesus gave that authority to the apostles and to their successors. So they are to bind and to loose. And that's why we see St. Paul even excommunicating people in his letters. So imagine what they did in person. Um, but throughout church history, what excommun- excommunication uh, was was a um, formal process where they would actually bring the person into the church in front of the bishop and if this person still didn't repent after several times of trying to to do this, they would excommunicate them in a formal like uh, I don't know if it's liturgical, but it was a formal thing that happened right within the church. And it was not out of a place of you're no longer belonging to the to the church. No, it was a place of that you need to be basically uh, loved to the point of. Um, conversion, right? So I'm going to love you by telling you, hey, what you're doing is wrong and you are putting yourself and other people in danger of your salvation. And so excommunication is a thing of love, such as what's happening with Nancy Pelosi right now. That is, uh, it's not excommunication, but it is barring her from communion. And that's not to say, hey, now you get a slap on your hand because you did something uh, bad or, or wrong. Nope. It's saying you are loved daughter of God you need to repent. What you are doing, what you are teaching, what you are believing is a complete uh, detriment to your salvation and to the salvation of others to publicly proclaim that abortion is to be celebrated. And so anyhow, um, but, and so we judge, so the church judges those inside the church, as St. Paul says, but God judges those outside. Um, think about even in the old Testament, the old Testament, the Jewish people were an eth- ethnic group, right? So it's a people who were very bound up close to, together and in the temple, even the, the Jewish people could go inside the curtain, but the curtain, the those who became to believe in the Jewish God, the Yahweh, but were not Jewish could stay, had to stay outside the curtain. So there's still this division and yet God still accepted those people, uh, in Psalm 80 and 88, God includes the faithful, um, the faithful even around the enemies of Israel. God considered them children of Israel in these psalms. And so we hear God calling them children of Israel, even though they, were not, they are not Jewish. And then, in uh, this is a beautiful example, in the mid-100s, Justin Martyr, so this, a successor of the apostles who knew the apostles. Justin Martyr, he argued that Socrates, which was even before Jesus, was Christian. because he was living according to the logos, the word or logic. He was living to reason, which is a participation in the person of Jesus. And at that time, Socrates, hundreds of years before, he's not rejecting God. He's not rejecting Jesus. He's rejecting the gods of his society that his society introduced to him in favor to a God he doesn't even know. He said, no, there can't be multiple gods. There's only one God. So in a sense, he was saying yes to the God of Christianity without even knowing it. So again, this goes back to what we talked about before. The difference is is that he didn't say I re. Uh, there's a difference between saying I reject the Christian message and someone accepting a message that's incomplete or not totally right. So we see this in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there were people who didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit, right? So I believe this is in Acts 19, where they say hey, um, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they were like, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And St. Paul's response is, well, then what were you baptized into? Why? Because you receive the Holy Spirit in baptism and you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what did they get baptized into? The baptism of John the Baptist, which is not a baptism of grace. That was a uh, a symbol. And yet, uh, the christian baptism in jesus everything becomes a reality so now baptism actually does what it signifies it's doing it's going to give you grace It's going to fill you with the holy spirit it's going to bring you into the body of christ and so um so they were the in that moment right so these people didn't know that it was a holy spirit the church didn't condemn them they taught them more fully so we can say so we can uh say who is a catholic but we have no right to say who isn't Catholic because they're unknown to us, right? And so those outside can be saved. And if they're saved, they're saved by the grace of Jesus, which is in the body of Christ as well. They're participating in the life of the church. They may be Catholic and not even know it, (laughs) but everybody in heaven is Catholic. Whether they live the life of being a formal member of the Catholic church here on this life or not, everybody in heaven is Catholic because we are perfectly united and God wants every single person to be Catholic. To be united with God, in intimate union with Him and all and all of His people, to restore what was broken and fallen in the reality of truth. <clears throat> well, what about non-Catholic Christians? So this is even a more interesting way because I know Protestants who are walking in the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit, and so you know people who um, people who are doing deliverance ministry, people who are uh seeing miracles and raising the dead and prophesying what are we going to say that that's fake heck no (laughs) god is operating in the life of those non-catholic christians powerfully and we need to bless it praise you jesus and that's that was actually the life of the early church and the middle church that we started to fall away from so god is bringing about this revival and actually a lot of people in the charismatic communities um, in Protestantism are typically the most open to Catholicism. And a lot of, uh, a lot of charismatic people become Catholic because they're open to the reality of continuing miracles that has always been the life of the church and they're open to the spirit. And so they're typically moved out of place of humility and a desire and a hunger for more. And they are obsessed with the presence of God. And then when they realize the authority of the church, the gift of knowing truth and united in the church and the fulfillment of all that Jesus did and the presence of the Eucharist, they're like, I'm all in, <laughs> right? So, and, uh, and but this can also throw off a lot of Catholics and uh, non-Catholics looking at the Catholic Church because, uh, for example, when I first became Catholic, I was really confused. I'm like, oh, well, how do we have, how does the church have the authority? And yeah, I see all these people on fire that are not inside the Catholic Church. Well, because of this teaching, <laughs> the church, uh, you know, they're not outside. Of uh, of the church and God can still work amazing miracles um, and do a, a powerful things outside of the boundaries of the membership of the Catholic faith, but they are united. But they are united. There are united brothers and sisters, but not perfectly. Right. So it's our separated brothers and sisters. Um, but also, it reminds me of just listening to Catholic Answers. There's this guy who called in to Catholic Answers and said, "Hey, I was born Catholic, raised Catholic, and um, I ha- I actually had like." demonic uh things going on in my life where i couldn't sleep and i was getting attacked and everything like like that i went to a catholic priest nothing happened i went i went to a protestant pastor and the demons left so now I'm, pro- uh, now I'm Pentecostal because, because the demons uh, were driven out by a Pentecostal pastor and not by a Catholic priest and therefore all the power lies in the Pentecostal and there is no transformation. There is no power. There is none of that in the Catholic faith. So now I'm not Catholic anymore. I'm Pentecostal. Well, my boy Joey Hushmeyer is a boss, but this is a horrible way to to judge which church you are supposed to be a part of, right? This is a uh, unbiblical way to um, To decide which church to belong to, or to decide which one is true or not. So, one is that, typic- uh, uh like when there's demonic uh, oppression or possessions, there could it could be demonic, or it could be uh, mental things. But also, that priest maybe he didn't do something correctly, or he, you know, he, he's whatever. He doesn't he doesn't know how to operate in that deliverance ministry. Number one, but number two is that there is actually, in in Scripture, in Matthew 12, this is when uh, Jesus, he gives he gives the authority to the apostles to drive out demons, and yet there's places in Scripture where the apostles couldn't drive out the demons, right? So they are like, we couldn't do this. But also in Matthew 12, when Jesus is driving out demons, the Jewish leaders accuse him that he is driving out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus says that, um, if I drive out demons, then who do you drive out demons by? Um, and there's the the implication there is that there's Jewish exorcists. There are Jewish exorcists that drive out demons. And there's exorcist exorcists then, there's exorcists um, um, I believe even now. So <clears throat> but we're not going to leave the apostles and Jesus for the Jewish people because they could drive out uh, drive out demons, but the apostles couldn't, right? So we're not going to leave the apostles for the Jewish people. We're not going to leave the Catholic church because of a Pentecostal pastor, uh, an anointed Pentecostal pastor, right? So that's a bad and unbiblical way of choosing which church to belong to. And there are also a lot of examples going the opposite way of where, um, where there would be demonic uh, possessions or there would be demonic influence on a household. And, um, the Protestant pastors or whoever it may have been outside of the Catholic faith could not drive out the demon. And actually the demons would actually taunt them and they don't even know them. And, uh, it would be, um, a big scandal, but they would come to the Catholic, uh, uh, church and an exorcist priest would drive out the demon. And there's, I think I talked about this in, epi- in the episode about hell or the devil about, uh, demonic possessions and, um, exorcisms that uh, are happening throughout the world, But also there was an example here that happened in America that Jimmy Akin on his mysterious world talks, uh, has a full hour, you know, hour long episode about this, where a Protestant guy has um, demonic, horrible things happening in his house. And the different Protestant pastors that were coming could not uh, drive out the demon and the Catholic priest came and all of that stopped. And so the person actually became Catholic after that. So we actually see a lot of examples going the opposite way, and that's actually the more commonplace. But regardless, Jesus founded one church. He wants you to be a part of it. And those outside the church may... have an anointing upon their lives and the church blesses it that we want more of it we want them to be living a life and power of the holy spirit bringing people to the person of jesus and why is this so important is because jesus founded one church and when he prayed in john 17 for us to be one as the father and jesus are one so that the world may believe that the father sent jesus so our evangelization is impacted by our unity or our lack of unity, <laughs> and if when when we're dis- when we're totally splintered and we're arguing and we're fighting and people leave the church and everything like that, people who are not Christian look at it and like, man, I'm not going to be a part of that at all. It's a scandal. Division is, but Jesus never puts us in the position where we have to forsake truth for unity, or we have to forsake unity for the sake of truth. He never puts us in that position. It's precisely in the church that we will be united and united in the truth. And that is the promise of Jesus and the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And so we never have to make that decision to it. Should I leave the Catholic church or should I not become Catholic because of this and that? No, every, everybody, Jesus wants you to be Catholic. But also in Mark nine thirty-eight, this is when the apostles see somebody else driving out demons in Jesus' name. He's not an apostle. He's not a part of their crew, right? And so uh, John says to Jesus, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he was not following us. Jesus says, Do not forbid him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. And so we see here Jesus himself acknowledging that when people are not with, with us, but they're doing good, truth, beauty, or working a miracle in Jesus' name, if they're not against us, they're for us for us right so uh do not stop them do not for- forbid them and this is within the church and outside the church right so those who are not a part of the apostles like this example not even a part of the church formally but doing mighty deeds in Jesus' name bless them we want more and then we're going to be like the people in acts who say come and learn the way more fully where it will teach you more fully right and to accompany them and then on the flip side of that, Jesus also says in Matthew 12:30, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So this is when people come to know the truth and then reject it, right? So if you're deliberately against Jesus, then or de- deliberately not with Jesus, whether that's in the formation of the apostles or it is just outside of the person of Jesus and not a Christian, but if you know that it's true and you reject it, I mean, you're against Jesus and whoever does not gather with Jesus scatters and there's even more division. And so as a, as the church, the church blesses every single gift and anointing and truth, beauty, and goodness that is operating outside of the Catholic church. And it is a participation in the Catholic faith. That is a participation in the Catholic faith because it's a participation in the person of Jesus walking in power of the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> um, when people are in the truth, they are united to the church in some way, because those who are not against us is for us. And then lastly, what we'll talk about is membership in the church does not mean you are saved. Just being Catholic in name, and we see this even in the writings of Augustine and other church fathers, about being Catholic and or Christian in name only <laughs> is not Christian at all. We want to be Christian in reality. So not everyone that is in the visible boundaries or membership in the Catholic church is saved. There is no absolutism and there's no indifferentism. Absolutism meaning everybody in the church is saved. Nope, that's not true. Everybody uh, everybody um, outside the church is not saved. Nope, that's not true. And there's no indifferentism either, where we say, eh, everyone's fine. Nope, (laughs) that is not the teaching of Jesus, not the teaching of scripture, not the teaching of tradition, not the teaching of the church. So Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. And those who do not pick up their cross uh, are not worthy of me. Those who do not deny themselves will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that these things are real. So people in the Catholic church who are not living a life of holiness and radical union with Jesus may not be saved. And this shouldn't be a surprise, and we should know this because Jesus himself tells us to expect this within the church, that in the church, Jesus talks about how there will be weeds and wheat. There will be sheep and wolves in the church. There will be wolves in sheep clothing. The sheep were a reference as shepherding, right? So Jesus is the true shepherd that the apostles are participate in. That's why Jesus, when he tells uh, St. Peter after his resurrection, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Why? Because he is going to be shepherding people in, in uh, participation in the life of the true shepherd of Jesus in the church. But he says that there will be wolves in sheep clothing so that we are going to have bad leaders in the church. <laughs> and then he also talks about how in the church there will be weeds and the wheat. And to not pluck up the weeds with the wheat, because then you might pull out the wheat as well. <laughs> so within the church, there's going to be good and bad. There's going to be ugliness and um, and beauty. There's going to be good and evil within the church. And those who are wolves, those who are goats, those who are uh, weeds within the church are going to be taken away and burned at the end of time in judgment. And so uh, within the church, we shouldn't be surprised that if you are a member of the Catholic faith, that does not mean you are saved. That does not mean that you are saved. We have to live a life of radical obedience and love faith, hope, and love in holy intimacy with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and living a life of radical love. And that's what we are going to be judged on is love. So I'm sure a lot of people uh, have been sacramentalized. This is a term meaning that you've been baptized, you receive confirmation, you receive the Eucharist, and all these things, which are beautiful. They're gifts of God. That's the grace of God. And yet, they're not living a life in union and intimacy and uh, obedience and operating out of those sacraments to live a life of holiness and transformation that Jesus alone can give. Jesus, uh, St. Paul talks about this. He warns people who are sacramentalized, and yet they can die in their sins. So 1 Corinthians 10, starting in uh, verse uh, 1, uh, St. Saint, Saint Paul talks about how that our fathers, talking about the people, the Jewish people um, at the time of Moses, he says that our fathers, they were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same supernatural food and all drank the same supernatural drink. For they drank from the supernatural rock which, was, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things are warnings for us not to desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to dance. We must not indulge in immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put the Lord to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction, upon whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will also provide, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may able to, that you may be able to endure it, therefore, my beloved, shun the worship of idols, I speak as to sensible men, judge for yourselves what I say: the cup of blessing which we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is not a participation in the body of Christ, because there is one bread we who part, uh, who are many are one body, for you all partake of the one bread consider the people of israel are not those who eat the sacrifices partakers in the altar what do i imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything no i imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to god i do not want you to be partakers with demons you cannot drink the cup of the lord and the cup of demons you cannot partake of the table of the lord and the table of demons okay so that was a lot but this is so beautiful so St. Paul is saying what happened in the Old Testament, that they were, that the Israelites, when they passed through the Red Sea, they were in a sense, baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The cloud was the glory cloud that covered them. So the cloud and the sea. this is what in Christian this is Christian baptism. Now in Jesus, it's a reality. We actually walk in to grace. We are baptized into Jesus through what? The water and the Holy Spirit. So this is just as they were baptized into the cloud, which is the Holy Spirit, and the sea, which is the water. And then it says, then St. Paul says that all of these people, when they left Egypt out of slavery and oppression under Pharaoh, they were baptized into Moses out of the, out of the cloud and the sea, over the Red Sea. And then they walked through the desert and what did they eat? They ate supernatural food and they had supernatural drink because God would give them manna from heaven. And this Jesus is the new manna from heaven. And so we eat the Eucharist, which is why he goes on later to explain that we participate in the body of Christ in the Eucharist and participate in the blood of Christ in the Eucharist. And, and yet he says that in the Old Testament and those people who were baptized into Moses those people who ate the supernatural food and drink, they died in their sins. Because, why? Because idolatry and immorality. And immorality is is uh, um, sexual immorality. And also they grumbled. They were complaining against God. So here, St. Paul is saying, this was written down for our instruction because we too, now we're baptized into Jesus. We eat the supernatural food and drink the supernatural drink of the Eucharist. And yet, we can die in our sins because we either indulge in idolatry, like making up our own reality, or uh, indulge in sexual immorality, or we complain. I want something else. <laughs> we, this grumbling, right? Jesus says, do not murmur among yourselves in John 6. because Why? Because he's giving us the new supernatural food in the Eucharist, just as the manna from heaven gave them in the desert. But they, what did they do? They murmured, they grumbled, they complained. We don't want this miraculous bread, we want to go back and we'd rather have the food and slavery in Egypt. That's what we can do all the time. And so here, St. Paul is saying, these people in the Old Testament, they were sacramentalized. They were baptized. They were eating uh, the supernatural food and drink, and yet they were cut off. We too, who are sacramentalized in the church, who are baptized into Jesus and eat the Eucharist and drink the drink his blood, we, can, we too can be cut off. We can even partake. In the table and the sacrifice of demons, St. Paul says, because we uh, partake in these immoral um, actions, or we complain, or we are um, even eating and drinking judgment upon ourselves in the Eucharist. And so, just because you're sacramentalized does not mean that you are saved. Just because I was sacramentalized and even still go to Mass does not mean that I am saved. But again, This isn't meant to be scrupulous. This is meant to be a radical, courageous call to a life of intimate union with Jesus and to uh, live a life of total, radical love that denies ourselves, denies the flesh when it wants to act out or or do its own thing. We have to walk according to the Spirit. And so, uh, to wrap this up, um, just as we said before, we never have to sacrifice unity for the sake of truth. And we never have to sacrifice truth for the sake of unity. So some people believe that Catholics sacrifice truth for the sake of unity. Well, you guys all just want to be one, and yet, but you're not believing in truth, though. Or people say that we're actually sacrificing unity to remain in the truth. That's why we'll never become Catholic, so to be united, we just, but we have the truth out here. Jesus never puts us in that position. It's precisely in the church that we are united and it's precisely in the church that we are united in the truth. Jesus never puts us in that position. There's nowhere in scripture that talks about that. There's one church. There is one gospel. There is one faith, one baptism, one Lord. And we are to be united in that. And that's precisely where we will be in the truth. As St. Paul says, the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And the, church will, the hell will never um, overcome the church so um and then when we go out as catholics we have to remember that the church exists for the people who are not in it i forget who said that but i'm pretty sure it was like jp2 or something or uh, another pope but he says the church exists for the people who are not in it so the church exists to evangelize so when others say that i'm not catholic or our response shouldn't be like oh okay Our response really should be perfect the church was actually made for you (laughs) the church was made for you and so we should be moving with confidence and to bring people into the church and to remember that the church exists for the people that are not in it yet and so um, but so this is a great responsibility so if we're Catholic we have even a greater responsibility any time that we we receive the gift of truth or beauty or goodness we even have a greater responsibility to respond to it and to live according to it, right? Is to know, love, and serve it. We have to first know it, then we have to love it, and then we serve it. And so we have to uh, continue taking that great responsibility upon us. If we're Catholic, we, even have, we have the greatest responsibility. And one last thing is that we talked about this before in another episode, is that um, talking about people who are not outside of the Catholic faith, when... The church teaches about conscience and that they can still be saved to no fault of their own. If they're ignorant to no fault of their own, God is not going to ask to the impossible of them. But if they're following truth as they know it, then they can be saved by the grace of Jesus. A lot of some Catholics re- then thought like, okay, well then I'm not going to evangelize because, because then if, then they actually can be saved if I don't share the gospel so that they remain ignorant their whole lives and they can just be saved at the end. Well, I think it was Pope Paul VI. He said when that question was being asked, can those who be saved if they don't know it and they're like, well, then we don't need to evangelize. He says, well, can we be saved if we don't preach the gospel? Can we be saved if we don't preach the gospel? Every single person is going to be more fully alive, more joy-filled, more filled with the life that they were created for when they encounter the person of Jesus and when they encounter the church. Because each person that's we, we have this false sense of, well, uh, hopefully they're saved uh, later on, or um, they can live a life of full sin and then at the very end they can convert, and that's like the best way to do it. No, no, a life of sin is a life of death and unhappiness and brokenness and evil, and it and it is a uh, detriment to their happiness. If we really love people, then we'd want them to be happy. Where's their gonna? Where's their happiness gonna be found? In Jesus. So we have to preach the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, there is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church because there is no salvation outside of Jesus. And the church is the fullness of him extended out into the world. And that we are, uh, we are to live a life in sacraments and holiness in the church that God has bound himself to, but he's not bound by. And that we are to love each person, we are to evangelize each person that is outside of the faith, outside of the visible boundaries of the church, because the church is made for them. But we also can't judge the people outside of the church, as St. Paul says, because God judges them. We can judge actions, but we can't judge hearts. And so they may be in communion with the church in an imperfect way without uh without having a formal membership because they are participating in the life of Jesus that they're following truth goodness and beauty as has been revealed to them without knowing the fullness of the truth and then membership in the church or being sacramentalized does not mean that we are, we are saved sacramentalized equals doesn't doesn't equal saved all the time out of the sacraments flows the grace of god but now we have to cooperate and participate in that life of grace or we too will die in our sins, just as the people in the Old Testament died in the wilderness, even though that they were sacramentalized under Moses. So I really pray that this was helpful for you to understand the teaching of the church as the church understands it, understands it, but what it means of this dogma that there is no salvation outside the Catholic church. And uh, please share, rate, and reach out. And uh, God bless you, may I keep you. The next three episodes on this topic of salvation Um, We're going to end it with talking about the Antichrist or the Mark of the Beast. We're going to be talking about the end times and the rapture. And then we're going to be wrapping it up by just talking about the point of Christianity and the point of life. So I pray that you uh, stay living life in the Holy Spirit and we'll see you next time. God bless you.